0: man, what is up? And welcome to a new edition of the Selby is Godcast, a Mike Clevenger is traded edition of the Godcast. I am TJ Zuppi. He is Zach Meisel. You can follow us on Twitter at TJ Zuppi, at Zach Meisel, at Selby is Godcast. And for those of you that may have just found us because of the circumstances that have led you to the podcast, welcome. And you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere you happen to listen to podcasts. And of course, we always welcome the five-star reviews over at Apple Podcasts to help us rise up the ranks and help people find us. Well, Zach, as the Joker said eloquently in the dark night, as he stared at Harvey Dent in the hospital bed after he just melted half of his face, Hi. (laughs) What's up?
1: I have no idea what you're talking about.
0: (laughs) Just total chaos, and I just plop down next to you, and what's up, man? What's going on?
1: (laughs) So, you know, first of all, give me a one-word answer. Do you like the trade for the Indians, yes or no?
0: (laughs) How am I supposed to answer that (laughs) when I'm staring at, hold on, let me see if I can do a quick, I'm staring at 343 words of notes. Not that's that's not an article 343 words where there's a lot of bullshit in between no it's 343 words of notes that's just like thoughts (laughs) that were streamlined out of my consciousness so i have no idea how to answer that question do you (laughs) like the trade
1: (laughs) yeah i mean this is we say it on this podcast all the time where two things one the truth usually lies in the middle and two You know, things are not always black and white, and there's a lot of context and layers to things, and I think this fits that to a T. You know, I I wrote my initial story this morning, and it was pretty long, because there was so much to cover with so many players involved, and all the circumstances surrounding the trade and leading up to the trade, and then I started just building, like you did, like, just Anytime a thought popped into my head today, I jotted it down and jotted down another one and another one thinking, oh, you know, I'll compile all these thoughts in a piece for Tuesday morning. And, um, I, you know, I set reminders on my phone for every single thing I do because I have a terrible short term memory and I, you know, I forget to do the simplest things that I was telling myself I needed to do two minutes earlier, um, so in the reminders tab on my phone, there is a, there's one entry that is like 500 words in itself. Um, you know, you've got feed the dog, do your laundry, brush your teeth, and then 76 thoughts on the Clevenger trade. So um, it's... I don't know how to start this. I don't know the simplest way to sum this up, but um, I think a lot of the reactions fans are feeling... Are probably fair warranted um, I, I think you need to look at it a couple different ways number one is hey this is so hard Like, <laughs> number one would be are they better in 2020 yeah I mean probably not I don't know how much worse they are if they're worst at all um, I think the bottom line here is for 2020 and only 2020 this trade doesn't I don't know how much it matters in terms of it's not up to like Naylor and uh, Quantrill and um, Austin Hedges. It's really just what's going to determine the season is is like Plesak and McKenzie and Savali and Lindor and Santana and Ramirez. Like it's, it's the guys who are already here. who are going to have to do the heavy lifting. You know, you're not, I don't know necessarily that losing Clevenger makes the difference on whether you win or lose a world series this year. Um, but I, I, I certainly understand the frustration with not getting back, maybe that high-end prospect. You know, with with Trevor Bauer in that trade, everybody knew Framel Reyes was going to be a beast. There was no question. You had him for five and a half years. Bauer was gone. You know, probably last over the winter, um, and only had a year and a half of service time. Could argue that Clevenger's better. He's got more service time. He's cheaper. Um, less wear and tear on the arm maybe. And and I think you're lacking that piece, that slam dunk, that obvious fit for your lineup. Naylor could be good, but, you know, Freyus was more sure thing. So I, I get it. And I think people look at the standings and they, you know, I saw a lot of outside or national reaction that was, the Indians are in first place and they're selling. This makes no sense. They got, you know, not a lot for Bauer, Kluber, and Clevenger when you combine it all. And it's just such a short-sighted, way of thinking to me but you know that's the national reaction they don't have the maybe the knowledge of how the Indians operate how the front office thinks and what some of the pieces they got um could turn into so it's it's a trade
0: that it's a trade it's, it's it, a trade that maybe, maybe trade. the
1: Indi- if the Indians are going to win the trade they're going to win it from 2021 to 2027 um, yeah, I mean but that, that part you look is impossible at it, now
0: to to evaluate yeah. because so much is hinging on prospects that probably won't sniff the majors in 2020 and maybe not even in in 2021. But I mean, you hopped all around my notes. <laughs> Everything you said is <laughs> yeah, somewhere I, somewhere in there, and I think the the, the it, thing it's that you so hit difficult on, to the, the thing that you hit on though that that is going to stick with everybody is. You can't make a case that their chances of winning the World Series in 2020 is any better than what it was at the beginning of the day. And people were looking on some sort of improvement upon that. And it was going to take some sort of bat to to give people that feeling that they are going to be better. And because you had the immediacy in the Bauer trade of two guys that were going to definitely upgrade the lineup right now. Uh, that gave it that uh, that feeling that they had a really accomplished something, despite giving up one of the best pitchers on their roster. And it's diff- it's a lot more difficult to do that with the Clevenger trade today. But that doesn't make it a bad trade, and that's what's so hard to completely quantify. Because I can look at those that that say the Indians got nothing, and they got they just got fleeced. And I I think well no, I think they. As far as total value goes, especially looking at this for many years to come, I think they might have done really, really well. In fact, we might look back on this trade and say, how in the hell did they get that guy in that trade? But at the same time, I also see those that say, trust everything the Indians are doing, everything is fine. And I think, well, no, not exactly that either. I just want to kind of center the conversation at least properly the way that I have in my brain and and try to find some truth because I'm still struggling to to put all of my thoughts into words and feel like I'm not leaving something out that I'm feeling about this deal.
1: Yeah, it it is very complex. I mean, it's and, and look, this is, you know, part of the reason this got done is the Indians and Padres know each other so well. They've worked so much, five trades in the last 25 months, three consecutive um, trade deadline, significant trade deadline deals together. And in a year where you don't have as much information as you normally would about young players and prospects, and um, that helps. So the Indians felt they knew the Padres system pretty well. Some of the data sharing that they've done in recent days and weeks helped confirm some of the things they were thinking about those players. Um, but, you know, this is, this is not something you could have, they threw together last minute. I mean, this is, this was, this was intricate. This was complex. And so I, I don't know. I mean, I don't even know where to start when we talk about this. It's, it's like, the team isn't going to look that much different moving forward. I mean, you know, think about
0: but that's the other weird thing is because Clevenger's not an everyday player. So despite the fact that he has a great outcome or a great impression on one game that he appears in every five days. The other four days, you wouldn't know that he's on the team necessarily unless you were thinking about him. So that's what also makes uh, trying to evaluate what they're going to be moving forward in 2020 so difficult because you're not really looking at this like, is this a move that helps you make the playoffs or, or detracts from your chance to make the playoffs? Well, you're looking at expanded playoffs, and now you're trying to set yourself up more uh, as a, a playoff team than you would be one that's really fighting for a spot. So it, it makes all of this really weird. But can we start with just the 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 acknowledgement that the Indians are in this position because of their financial situation that is set upon them by ownership. That if all things were going great and it would be you know super cool if you could just keep all of your really talented players in house and not have to worry about selling them, you know, two years prior to their free agency, uh, all of this comes down to, it, it, in my belief, that they wouldn't be pulling the trigger on these trades if not for what they, what, what is, is put upon them financially by what ownership basically demands of them.
1: Well, I think you can take that to a broader sense, though, is that the way the Indians operate is that they will never rebuild. They will never tear it down to the studs. They can't. They know that if they do that and they have one of those Runs like the Tigers are hoping to end soon, and the Royals are hoping to end soon. What the Astros did and the Cubs did to tank and to just be horrendous and lose 100 games every year for a while, and then build back up with all your top draft picks, they will not do that because they feel like they'll never get the fan base back. They'll they'll have they'll never get the revenue streams back to a point that can supplement a roster when it becomes good and costs a little bit more. So. Because of that, you're always going to have this churn. It's what Tampa and Oakland do really well, um, and the key to that is is turning over this roster. You know, they had the second oldest roster in baseball a few years ago. You look around the diamond now. You look at that pitching staff. It's I mean I don't I haven't looked it up yet, but I'm guessing it's one of the younger ones. Um, and it's going to stay young and it's going to get younger. Like, I don't know for sure that Carlos Santana is going to be on this team next year. I don't know for sure that Brad Han's going to be on this team next year. But I can tell you Emmanuel Classe probably will. And he's, what, 21, 22? And, you know, Daniel Johnson probably will. like. So I think in a broader sense, the ownership and the way ownership operates dictates how the front office has to do things. And because of that, you're in this situation where then, okay, you know, you have, Clevenger's the guy that has to go next. Um, and he even said, like, you know, I asked him, like, you saw Bauer get traded, you saw Kluber get traded, did you figure he, you were next? And he said, pretty much, yeah. Um, that's just the way they've done things. And so, because of ownership then, you know, you can't, instead of this, maybe they would have been able to, like, make a trade for Starling Marte, who's got a $12.5 million option for next season. Or make a play for... I don't know, J.D. Martinez or someone. Like, it, it definitely would have changed the dynamic, but everything else would have already been changed anyway. Um, so it, it's, I don't know, it's it's tough. You know, I, I the one thing that I don't have a good grasp on is why this trade needed to be made now instead of this winter if the trade did not involve a significant upgrade to the lineup. Um, you know, if they would have gotten back someone in the deal who was a no-doubt, slam dunk really good hitter and already is then i would have understood more oh i get why they traded him now instead of playing out this season and trading him this winter the other thing is absolutely a seller's market right now you saw the padres i mean they paid an outrageous price in their deal with the mariners you know there weren't many teams um selling because it seems like 26 of the 30 teams are still in the race So I think the Indians also figured, you know, you're going to get to this winter when all these teams are saying, oh shit, we made no money this year and we got to cut payroll and we got to get rid of this player and that player. And there's going to be, it's going to be a flooded market. Every team's going to be trying to sell. So I think they liked the market better. Um, And, you know, we've all known Clevenger wasn't long for this team anyway. And then you couple that with the Chicago ordeal, like... It's not surprising. I just wonder if what the difference would have been if they would have waited till this winter, if they could have gotten the same deal because they didn't get that obvious impact bat.
0: Yeah, unless there's concern over injuries with Clevenger. I mean, he's had some kind of weird things that have stopped him from pitching. Uh, maybe they get a sense that if he continued pitching this year that, that he would be still really good, but maybe doesn't quite have the... the, the The narrative around him that he is on his way to being one of the best pitchers in baseball, maybe that impacts their thought process a bit. I mean, I don't know. That's all just speculation on my part as you're trying to find answers. The the one thing that I I think does stand out is you had the Padres absolutely feeling it. Um, And when you get in that mode as a general manager in a front office, I'd imagine you, you are really feeling it. Maybe the Indians just felt... The, the, the time to strike was now because the Padres were never going to be in a position where they were going to agree to give up all of this prospect capital. And, and maybe that was their, their, their thought process too, is that this, the Padres are really desperate now because you know, they've gone through this, this rebuild and they tried to build it up once before, it didn't work. Now they're in a position where they're really good, really fun. They're on the, the, the up and up. And so take advantage of that now while they're, maybe, maybe their guard is down. But the the other thing that you said I think is absolutely true as this team tries to never go through that long rebuild. For fans, winning 89 to 92 games forever really isn't that sexy. That doesn't really drive you down to the ballpark. It gives you a chance to win a lot. And as, as fluky as this game can be, it, it does put you in a position to – be fighting for a playoff spot year after year, but the Indians' plan right now is to go out there and win 89 to 92 games and maybe have it break well a few years and win 97, 98 games. But that's not not sexy. That's not winning an offseason, and that's certainly not going to sell a bunch of tickets because it it also kind of brings you into a place of of complacency, I think, a bit as a fan because you're just seeing the same thing year after year, and until the team goes out and wins a title, even the Dodgers, I think, I think, or to an, uh, an extent, having that happen within their fan base where they're just bored. Ah, uh, we made it to the playoffs again, but still no title. And so I I think that's the difficult part of, of the plan the Indians are trying to keep in place here. It doesn't always align with getting the fans all riled up to go down there and buy season tickets.
1: That's I mean, that's the other thing is who even knows what like, next year is going to look like. If you can have fans in the stadium, what's the season ticket base going to be like? What's the revenue going to be like? Who's going to be left on the team? Will there be excitement? Will there be a buzz? And who knows, a lot of that could depend on how they fare this October. You know, the, the playoffs are random a lot of the time. And as much as it sucks to admit, like, just not necessarily, you know, the, the, you could if you can choose between going all in for two to three years and then sucking for six to seven or being consistently good for most of the whole decade... You should probably choose the the latter um, because, you know, we've seen so many times when, you know, the the, the best, the, that team that's all in loses to the team that's just consistently decent. And so, I don't know. Like, there there's so much unknown, and there's a lot of promise, but we also, you have to temper expectations with some of these young players. They're going to be relying on a lot of kids, and, and especially this year. I mean, we've seen Justin McKenzie twice, <laughs> like, he was awesome against the Tigers with a lot of adrenaline. He was okay against the Cardinals. Like, he's he's it. Like, you're in this rotation now, and, and the Indians need you. So it's... And it's the same thing. Like, they need Plisac and Savali to yeah. be upper-tier starting pitchers now. Um, so
0: it's... I think that says something about their belief in those kids, too.
1: Yeah, and, and look, for all of the fair, justified criticism of the Indians for not trusting their young players at times, it's completely fair. I think we also need to acknowledge that for the second straight year, they're handing the keys to some kids and saying, hey, lead us to the promised land. Um, so I, it's going to be interesting. I, I, again, like, we, like, I can look at this team and like, they're in first place, and I, I, it's not like klebinger was a huge part of them getting to 21 and 13. I still think they can win the division without him. You know, my my opinion of the team hasn't changed a ton today. You know, you like the potential of a Bieber-Clevenger one-two punch in the playoffs, for sure. If both guys, I mean, if if Clevenger's healthy and he's right, I still think he is one of the better pitchers in the American League. But, um, you know, I I don't know that my opinion's changed too much on this team this year. They need guys to step up who haven't been playing well. That's the bottom line. But when you look to the future, I mean, there are just so many things you could point at that say, you know what, this could be really interesting. Yeah, and that's the, before the we even think about, like, a Lindor trade.
0: The health of this organization, even compared to a few years ago, I mean, it's just incredible. The, the minor league system is really exciting, full of a lot of, and, and maybe not even star level guys, but they've got a lot of guys that could potentially be really good and, and shift away from this this sort of uh, way that they've built at least the position player part of their roster for the last couple of years where it was all, hey, we're going to have two guys that go five to seven wins, (laughs) and then a bunch of other guys, they're just going to hopefully piece together some wins elsewhere. I I think they're trying to build a stronger organization top to bottom. And
1: Mm -hmm. a lot of
0: this also comes down to development. I mean, they obviously trust in their development and their pitching. Their pitching development is, is off the charts. We know this because we can run down the, the level of talent that they've traded. And if you brought those guys back here, what they, would they be better than the best pitching staff in baseball this year? I don't really, I can't make a case that bringing Trevor power back or having Corey Kluber, even a healthy version of him, is well, going to be but, better and, than what they have right now.
1: That is one thing though. We, when we talk about the fact that they've traded three frontline starters in the last 13 months, you know, so many people mischaracterize that like, Corey Kluber was far from the peak of his powers when they traded him, and is going to wind up throwing one inning this year. And who the hell knows what he's going to look like next year and how much money he's going to be paid? I, what's he got? An option that is Texas is going to pick it up? The guy's barely pitched for two years. He was already declining before that. Like, let's let's relax here. I know they didn't get a ton, and we criticized that trade on paper, but like, it's it's not like they traded three aces at the like. It's this is not CC Sabathia. And Cliffly.
0: And even in those trades they still went for quantity over necessarily quality and it was in in those trades it was not necessarily the centerpiece of those deals that ended up being really impactful and, and in Carrasco's case, still impactful guys on in, in this organization. So, you know, it's weird. The Indians kinda have a track record of going for more quantity and I, I tweeted it out and, and you texted me about it. You know, part of it is probably just minimizing the risk. If you go all in on one prospect and that guy seems like they can't miss type, but if he does miss, then Mm -hmm. you've completely whiffed. But if you bring in three or four guys that maybe the ceiling isn't quite as high, but you think you can mold them into more or you see something in uh, in the data that you think that's something we can work with. That's something that we can really build upon. And we've seen that with the type of pitchers that they've targeted and the type of hitters that they've targeted too. We'll get into that more with some of the specifics about the players but you know i wonder how much of the indians just look at other teams organizations and and pinpoint guys that they just want to get their development hands on and they think this is a trade or this trade is an opportunity for us to go get several of those guys so they don't come away with the one can't miss wow i can't believe they got that prospect away from that team but they do come away with a bunch of guys that they really really can't wait to work with and i that that in some ways, has been a very big positive for them because they've come away with with people. I mean, Mike Clevenger, for instance. <laughs> no one thought he was going to be anything coming over in the Vinnie Pistano trade, and hell, he helped he helped uh, restock part of their minor leagues. But also, I think it can work to a detriment too, where maybe you start to believe too much in your development powers, and maybe you should p- push a little bit harder for for a little bit more of the the quality instead of the quantity. It's it's a it's a weird. Philosophy to try to follow, but it's it's been pretty constant in many of these deals, and it doesn't look like it's ever going to change—at least not in the short term. Yeah, I
1: I think it's important to also point out that for as much praise and credit as they deservedly get for pitching development, the fact that they have not been able to do so on the position player side, and specifically the outfield, is also part of the reason we're having this conversation about. Like, Levenger trade. Um, you know, it's they drafted in consecutive years in the first round. Naquin, uh, Frazier, Zimmer skipped a year and went with Will Benson. Then their first pick in, I think, 2017 was Quentin Holmes, who hasn't panned out. So, you know, they haven't been able to do that. And it's we've been talking about them needing an outfielder since, what, like... I, I, I mean, like the Shelley Duncan era, like... I feel like we were having the same conversation 10 years ago. Um, So it's, I think part of the reason for going for quantity over quality is you see the the writing on the wall for this winter. Um, Look, the payroll's going to go down. I think most teams' payrolls are going to go down. And, like, are they going to pick up Carlos Santana's $17.5 million option? I don't know about that. Are they going to pick up Brad Hand's $10 million option? I don't know about that. We already know Francisco Lindor is a candidate to get traded. Um, You are going to have holes on this roster. And if you acquire quantity in terms of prospect capital, you have more pieces you can move to fill those holes. So I think there's a lot of forward thinking here. And the Indians have not been shy about saying we're trying to balance the present and the future. And I think a lot of people just think, okay, well, they want good players now, and then good players down the line. And part of the, but part of the motivation is trade assets, and and the fact that they have established this really deep farm system, and, and one that probably is not rated um, where it deserves to be. Just because, and I'm not just, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm just blowing the organization, like they don't have the top farm system in baseball, but. At some point, when minor leaguers get back on the field, we're going to learn just how good Brian Rocchio and Aaron Bracho and some of those, that, that, that glut of middle infielders who are 19, 20, 21 years old, um, how they really are. And then you'll see the trade, the, the farm system move up the rankings. Then you'll see some of these, these guys converted into guys who can help them more immediately. And I think that's something that doesn't really get talked about much, but it it definitely serves as some motivation in which way they go. If they want to just trade Clevenger for that, maybe that one higher end prospect or the package of five or six guys.
0: This is something we'll discuss for probably multiple years. This will be another area that you mark and say, check in on (laughs) this. You think this
1: planet's going to exist for multiple more years? That's great.
0: (laughs) If that's the case, why are they building this future value up? doesn't make any sense.
1: That is true.
0: Um, and I was checking fan graphs, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight listed, eighth in uh, few, their top prospect future value board, now following the trades.
1: And again, that's before a lot of those guys are have really had a chance to establish themselves.
0: Yeah, it's it, I, I, part of me. Uh, is very intrigued by seeing what they can do from a development side. I mean, we've seen what they do with pitching, and when they go out and, and trade for a guy like Cantillo, um, then you can say, you know, um, you can look for certain elements of his game that have emerged in other uh, other of their prospects or guys that have reached the major leagues. But the other thing that is really funny to me, outside of those that have pointed to all the middle infielders in the Indian system and said, well, they need to move some of these guys. Well, they might, but the beauty of starting with a guy that's high on the defensive spectrum is he can go play anywhere. <laughs> you, can move him, you can move him to third. You can move him to maybe a corner outfield. You can move him elsewhere on the diamond, and it's not like you're starting with a first baseman where the only place they can really go is to DH, and that's about it. So I don't think they're really worried about the position a guy plays right now. But the other thing that was really funny about this, because they didn't get that one centerpiece, can't miss sort of guy, is following along with everybody that's latched onto one as being the most uh, intriguing guy that the Indians got in this trade. You know, so whether it whether it's it's Naylor because Naylor's up in the the major leagues and you've you've heard people talk about you know just the offensive ability that people think he has, the potential that he has. Yeah, can we stop crowning
1: numbers? this guy like a bust for having 38 plate appearances this year as a 23-year-old? But, Come on.
0: But how many different players in this nine-player package have you seen pointed to from the Indian side to say, well, that guy's the one you got to watch. That guy's the centerpiece. I think almost everybody has had their their time in the spotlight from some sort of evaluator that... That is, watch these guys play, or at least pour it over the data.
1: Yeah, you could spin that positively or negatively, I think. Um, uh, to me, the most intriguing guy is Arias, because uh, he's thought of as a really good defender at shortstop, and I know everybody hits in California in high A where he was, but um, the fact that he did speaks well. I know his, his walk and strikeout rates weren't great, but... Um, He's intriguing to me just because that's trade bait, man. Everybody loves a good shortstop who can well, not, hit a little bit. But
0: not only that, but you, if, by all accounts, they believe he'll stick at shortstop and play a pretty good shortstop. And if you've got a shortstop that can play defensively and has some pop, if he's not having Super a... Super valuable. If he's, even if he doesn't have a, uh, a high OBP, I think if you have a guy that is above average defender that, that hits some home runs from that position that's not a bad thing to have i i, I am i am very intrigued and i read about some of the the swing changes that he's made and all only swing changes but i think just uh, discipline changes and thinking about how to be more uh, you know disciplined at the plate and attack the strike zone in the right quadrants you know that's that's intriguing too but that's another guy that we we don't see on the field because nothing's playing right now
1: yeah and when i say trade bait i mean more so just like they have trade bait at that position. It doesn't have to be him. You know, you've got Tyler Freeman, who if this would have been a normal minor league season, I think he would have been ready to, to maybe take over there or somewhere on the infield um, next year for sure. So it, it's interesting. Like, they still have Nolan Jones. Like, there's going to be a lot of kids. All of a sudden, you know, it seemed like forever they had no one at AAA and AA. And all their top minor leaguers were in, like, rookie ball and they're in Arizona. And now there's like some really interesting players who might actually impact the major league roster in the next year or so. So it, it's interesting. I like I know the uh, Cantillo or Cantillo kid, the pitcher that he got um, really really good changeup. And can I can I read you, you know, something
0: he, from, from Fangraphs that just no,
1: that's that nerd website. Come
0: no, on, let me let on. me read you something. Let me read you this yeah, paragraph, and you tell me if it sounds familiar. Not only does does he have bat-missing movement, but Cantillo's arm speed really sells hitters on the notion that they're getting a fastball, a ball, uh, bats bailed at it in 2019. The carry on his fastball enables Cantillo to compete for swinging strikes in the zone. And that, plus his ability to throw lots of competitively located change-ups, means he can work back into any count. His breaking ball usage is ahead of its quality, something that might change... If Cantillo does start throwing harder and adds power to his curve, the breaking ball and development of velo are now the two variables driving Cantillo's potential future movement. But for now, I think he has the tools to go right at hitters as a number four or five starter. But did you catch the part about developing velo and working on the breaking ball? Two things the Indians seemingly have really... <laughs> Nailed down here in the past couple of years. That to me, it it just sings like a guy that the Indians flags some some things in the data that they think if we work with this 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 profile that's already here, we can add some more velo and this guy goes from being a back end starter to potentially a a front end starter.
1: Hundred percent. They know what they can do with prospects. So much better than we know or what anyone on Twitter knows. So you have to give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt there. Um, it's intriguing. But again, like, I don't know. This seems weird to be talking. Like, the, this podcast sounds like it's, it's a Royals podcast. Or, <laughs> like, I mean, it sounds like, we're, like we're, are we talking about a team that's in first okay, place? But can't,
0: but can't two things be true here? You wish they would have got more uh, of a, a more certain bat. For now, and I think if they would have accomplished that, if they, if they would have gone and traded for Joey Gallo today, I, I think you look to, at today like a gigantic win, depending on what they give up for, for a, a, a major bat. Or if they had acquired a Starling Marte, you would probably be doing backflips about this day. The fact that they didn't they didn't really get a certain bat that you can count on offensively, that's what eats at you, to, to make you feel like today wasn't a win. And we can all so, agree that that we, we believe they should have gone out and done that. And I'm sure they tried, but they should have gone out and done that. We can all agree with that. So that's the first thing that can be true. But I can also be very intrigued by several of these guys, and, and more so beyond what their talent is. I can be intrigued to see what the Indians saw in those guys, and then the idea of having the Indians work with, with, with basically more toys to play with. That's a really super fun idea. So why can't I, I be a complicated person that can feel two separate things here?
1: Of course. And to their defense, um, I mean, again, like the Starling Marte thing was never going to happen because of money. And Joey Gallo, I'm guessing the Rangers just wanted too much. I don't know what they're doing. Like, why they held on to Lance Lynn or um, they moved Mike Miner, but they held on to their other pieces. It's the
0: opposite of the Indians approach. Hold on to everybody until it's too late.
1: Yeah, very bizarre. Um, There just weren't a lot of pieces out there. I mean, they could have gotten like maybe a Jackie Bradley Jr. or someone like that, who we had talked about before, and who you've been bugging me about for like the last week. But uh, there just weren't many options because nobody me, was the selling. The
0: president of the Jackie Bradley Jr. <laughs> fan club. You know how much I've been advocating. You're probably for that wondering
1: team. how I got here, but um, yeah. So there just there weren't many teams selling. There wasn't much out there. So I think that also underscores why I think fans are upset that it's you know Josh Naylor is kind of the headliner. For 2020, um, I don't want to sell short Cal Quantrill, who should be another reliable arm in the bullpen this year, and has the potential, maybe down the line, to, to be a starter again or something like that. But um, is there you know, anything
0: more fitting than Quantrill and Plesac seemingly having very similar profiles and it being Quantrill and Plesac, those two names working together? I think that's just fitting.
1: So now this is a Blue Jays podcast.
0: <laughs> Why not? Sure. I mean, it's the first name and you look at Quantrill's page. It's the first name that it's, it says similar pitches in velocity and movement. Number one, Zach Pleissack. And then I, I look at Quantrill, and he's a guy that that's trying to suppress uh, the the level of contact that he's giving up. He's he's not a high spin guy, but he throws the two seamer kind of like a a sinker sort of pitch and works off the slide. I mean, it's, it's sound, and, and the velocity is decent, so it sounds like what we saw a lot of in Plesak last year.
1: Yeah, and so it shouldn't... We should talk about Mike Clevenger, too, um, and the fact that there's a couple ways to approach an evaluation of him and his Cleveland tenure and maybe his value, and that is... You know, he's really good. Like, he finished seventh in the American League among starting pitchers in war last year, and he only made 21 starts, missed two months with, with that upper back strain. So, you can see the potential. But it's also a fact that, in I mean, I guess technically three seasons, he, he topped the 126 inning mark once. Um, in 2016, he kind of got his feet wet. You had 17, 18, 19. He had some injuries mixed in there. 2020. I mean, I know this wasn't a full season, but he had the knee surgery in spring training. He still didn't feel quite 100% at the start of the season. He has the Chicago ordeal, which cost him three weeks. Um, so I think availability is a question. And you look at that delivery and the it's just that violent delivery that ends with him kicking an extra point, and and you wonder is is that going to play a role in the future? Um, but did they maximize his value because he was the best player? traded um and he still had two two and a half years and it's it's hard i mean if you're the padres today aren't you ecstatic with what you i mean not just the other trades but you like if from their point of view don't you feel like you won this trade if you're aj preller
0: yeah well i think you do look at it in the totality of everything they accomplished too they don't and Another key point is that everybody has different prospect evaluations. We get so caught up in what MLB Pipeline says or anybody else, and it's like, oh, these teams all value these guys differently. The Indians may feel like they came away with two of the top five prospects in the Padres system, Um, and maybe even the Padres rank guys differently. Uh, But, uh, yeah, the the fact that you don't touch – some of their, their top guys, how can you not feel extremely ecstatic? You're willing to give away some of the depth that you have because you have so much of it. It's like the inverse of the Indians having all of the starting pitching depth. They don't mind giving it up because you feel like you can either create more or you already have more.
1: Yeah, and that probably explains why I mean, these talks went until 4 a.m. on, what day is it, Monday morning, until they finally – yeah, um, came to up, an right, agreement. I heard
0: that Adam Engel was on his way to Cleveland and they like, well, shit, let's call Antonetti.
1: <laughs> you know what? I, that rumor, like Michael Kopech would have been a lot of fun. I think people were underselling that, like, I, like as if Adam Engel was the centerpiece of that trade rumor.
0: Like Delano to Shields?
1: Yeah. The war um, leader
0: in that trade? Yeah.
1: right. <laughs> tra- nobody won that trade. But, you know, they put the finishing touches on this at 4 a.m., went to sleep for a few hours, and then woke up and notified everybody. Um, But, you know, you can... If you followed the rumors leading up to that, you could understand kind of the back and forth. And and my question is, I wonder, like, you know, was there a point where the Indians were going to get less than what they got? And then you saw these rumors of all these various teams. There was a mystery team at some point. Drive up the price. Like, what was this... What was the initial...
0: Yeah, I mean, my, my theory all along in that Bauer trade last year was that the Indians were going to get less than they got until Puig was fighting guys on the field. <laughs> <laughs> the Indians leverage. This is my theory. Again, it's more just speculation, but I think they called up the Reds and said, hey, uh, you're going to give us some more because what the hell is this?
1: <laughs> yeah, so, I, you know, it's, it's so interesting that these teams have worked together so much. Um, I don't think you see that. That often, I don't know what's left for these teams to do. I mean, if the Padres want Lindor over the winter, like there are a handful of prospects the Padres have that I think the Indians would would love. I don't know where they'd play all these star shortstops, but um, Again, it's going to be interesting.
0: Spectrum. Stop worrying about position.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially since Josh Naylor is going to be your left fielder, so.
0: <laughs> yeah, t- I mean, today I'm starting to look at corner bats and talking myself back into how can Tyler Naquin get back into center field? Because all I'm, all, all I'm thinking about is offense for the Indians and how they can create runs. And Tyler Naquin is one of the few guys that's swinging the bat really well. And credit to him for coming back and swing the bat the way that he has. But beyond that, defensively, it's like, yeah, you worry about that, but they need they need more than guys that are hitting under 200 here with OPSs below 500. Like they have to squeeze some offense in there somehow. I mean, it looks like Oscar Mercado is going to get a second shot in center field. I'm assuming Mm -hmm. that's why he's coming back up um, to take some at bats away from Delano to shields. And, and I'm fine with him getting another opportunity. You still look at the outfield today and don't feel a ton better. A guy like Naylor's profile is fun. Um, and I can look at the minor league numbers and see how he command the, commands the zone, doesn't s- swing and miss and strike out a lot. And if he's taking his walks, that's already a great place to to be. You know, that profile is a left-handed hitter. And I'm also looking at his his away numbers from, from San Diego and looks like a great hitter when he's not playing in Petco Park. As much as I think those home and away numbers are probably worthless at this point. But still, the offense and in particular the The outfield, it's just like, how are we sitting here still talking about this today? And the fact, it is a little bit jarring, the the fact that they traded Kluber, Bauer, and now Clevenger and still don't have that like surefire offensive force that you would have thought you were going to get if you traded those three guys or if you thought about trading those three guys several years ago.
1: Yeah, I think Reyes can be that. Um, but they're so I, I think,
0: scared to play him in the outfield for whatever.
1: Well, reason. well, it sounds like they might be trending toward that. I don't know if it's, you know, if it's going to have to be him. It is going to have to be him or Naylor. I don't know. Um, it sounds like Reyes has been working in the outfield a lot, and they're pleased with some strides he's made. We'll see what actually happens. Him, Naylor, it doesn't matter. Like we saw Melky Cabrera out there. Like we can stomach it if we have to, um, you know. The other thing with Naylor, his his brother is one of the Indians' top prospects, Bo Naylor, a catcher who is the heir apparent to Roberto Perez, um, most likely. And uh, it, it's cool. So I I talked to a scout today who said that they have a third brother who just committed to uh, I want to say Texas A and M, to Texas Tech, one of those schools. And I guess the third brother is supposed to be the best of the three. And so uh, someone with the Indians, well, someone with the Indians joked to me today that now there's a lot of pressure to to (laughs) sign that third one to get the trifecta. Um, But that's, that's gotta be cool to to be in the same organization as your brother to both be, I mean, Josh Naylor is what, 23 years old. Bo Naylor, I think is 20. So both young could potentially play together at some point on this team. Um, That's pretty cool.
0: Well, it depends if, Naylor's going to get the Arb, too. They might end up dealing it before they ever get there.
1: Um, no, they don't trade outfielders. They just trade pitchers.
0: Yeah, it's just pitchers, right, once they fall You're right, though. Center.
1: I will say, but from between a trade of... Uh, I, don't, I don't think you were going to get a ton for Kluber, but with the Bauer and the Clevenger trade, and I, I think Framel Reyes is going to be a monster in the American League for a long time. But I do agree with you that like you should have a pretty standout lineup when you already had Lindor and Ramirez, and then you're trading all these pieces, these pitching pieces, to get offense. I do agree with you there. Like they shouldn't have these glaring holes. Like you shouldn't have to go back to the Domingo Santanas and the Carlos Gonzalez's of the world every single year.
0: Yeah, and I didn't anticipate being as wrong as I was about Domingo Santana, but I mean, he he, he gave them absolutely nothing. Melky Cabrera was an all-star compared to what Domingo Santana gave him. And I, and I don't know why that is. It's not like he's – those other guys were all aging, and, and Santana's not – he's not even cleared 30 yet. Um, so there's not like a reason why he should have fallen off offensively. Maybe it's just this weird year and small sample sizes. If this is a normal season, he gets more opportunity to just play and see what happens. But I have no issue with them going a different direction now, um, especially, you know, you're going to play Naylor, and Naquin definitely deserves to play, and that leaves no spot now for Domingo Santana. So, And I thought
1: we were just going to spend this whole podcast talking about Greg Allen's homecoming, uh,
0: that, gets to go home to San really, Diego. really cool for him, uh, and I texted you that after I thought about it, um, the fact that he gets to return home and, and, and maybe fill a role for, for them that he's really – his skill set really fits, just the fourth, fifth outfielder that can come in, pinch run, play defense, the the final thing that, that I we haven't even touched on, I mean god, I, I probably have more on this list that we'll never touch on because I don't even know where this stream of consciousness came from. <laughs> the Indians are are seemingly committing to a plan here now where they're trading these pitchers before. Um and and Kluber obviously doesn't fit this mold, but it was a little bit too late even for him. Where they they look at these pitchers to sell them off well before the the decline comes, or they get too pricey, or they're looking to maximize the value. We might disagree about the return and the value that they got. Maybe you feel like it should have been more. Or maybe you should have feel like it should have just come in fewer pieces. But if this is now the plan, where they're just going to continuously take these pitchers, build them up, let them pitch well, and then trade them in there before their arb two season. But if you're staying committed to that, if if that's your plan, I. I'm okay with it as long as you're committing to the plan. The problem is they've never really got to this point before and they felt good enough about their pitching that they could execute a plan like this now. But if you can be in a position where you never have to sign Michael Bourne and Nick Swisher again, (laughs) those types of players to try to jumpstart a competitive window, which is essentially what they were trying to do at the end of 2012, if you never have to do that again, I am completely fine with that.
1: Yeah, I think it works when... So, if you take it back to then when they signed Swisher and Bor think of like okay. So I I hate when people cite this, and it's only a couple people who tend to, but they do it nonstop. Yes, the Indians are on their way to their eighth consecutive winning season. Hooray! Like in the twenty fourteen, when they went eighty five and seventy seven, and the season was miserable. That's nothing to really celebrate. Twenty fifteen, when they were eighty one and eighty, and traded everyone mid-season, and they were dreadful for five to six months. That's not anything to celebrate. Um, but you look at how they tried to win early in that process, and it was a lot of veterans, um, and it was just like, it was, it was really ugly baseball. <laughs> Those rosters are gross when you go back and look at them. Um, what worked in 2016 was you had the starting rotation, and then you had offensive breakouts Lindor's first full season Jose Ramirez emerging um, and that's kind of been the formula of the last few years and so you saw in 2017 when they go out and get Edwin and the payroll is the largest payroll has ever been probably ever will be um, and that didn't work and they didn't get the return on investment that they were hoping for and they realized hey we can still make the playoffs without making these big sexy moves you know that's that's when I think we all learned. Well, that's never going to happen again, and so they are going to kind of mold their organization more after Oakland and Tampa, and try to have this constant turnover where you're keeping the team young and cheap and supplementing it when you ne- desperately need to because there's no other option, A.K.A. Cesar Hernandez, something like that. So I think I think that's going to be the plan moving forward. They just they kind of had to work themselves like back themselves. Into this, almost.
0: And to get to this point without having those giant losing seasons, Mm -hmm. uh, that's, uh, I mean, credit to their development, because they had to develop a lot of guys to get to that point. Um, Otherwise, otherwise they don't get there.
1: The one thing I want to add is, like, yes, you can make trades like this and bolster your farm system and make your team younger and cheaper, but you have to keep drafting and developing well. Yeah. Or you're not going to have people to trade yeah. to, to have that influx of young talent. We,
0: we talk about this all the time. It's not linear. It just doesn't happen well. You draft a guy with a high draft pick. I mean, even the Astros, how many times did they stub their toe in the draft when they were going through their, their rebuilding process? I mean, they drafted all these pitchers that uh, you know didn't sign uh, or just didn't pan out. And it's like, well... <laughs> even they had their missteps and they ended up winning a world series for whatever reason. Um, But it's, it's not always going to go perfect. So even you can, you can lay out this plan and and even stay committed to the plan. doesn't mean that it's going to work, but I, 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 if this is going to be what they do, then they have to stick with it. And we know what the free agent market is in, in baseball for teams like the Indians to kind of bring this full circle they can't go out and and spend to keep even their own guys, and that hasn't been the case really uh, for many many years. But certainly under Dolan ownership, it is very rare that they're going to spend much money. And they they tried it in 2017 and it ended up blowing up in their face. Maybe that's part of why things have been cut back the way that they are too. That maybe that plays a role. Uh, but you have to you have to stay committed to this if if that's going to be the the, the path that you're, that you're starting now. You can't go in seven different directions as you build the organization. You, you have to stay committed to churning through your players as they get older, bringing in young players. It doesn't work if you take like half a year off or you start trading a bunch of guys away. Um, you have to kind of just keep the, the factory line going because they can't go out and, and get the major free agents and the guys that they can go out and get are those really risky guys in the middle like Bourne and Swisher, that usually end up blowing up in their face. So,
1: yeah, and I think that's going to need to happen. I think like Arias or Cantillo is going to have to pop to to make this one of those trades where we say a few years later, man, how did the Indians pull that off? Um, I think you're going to need that. The Owen Miller kid is nice. I found it interesting that Antonetti described Arias as you know, like flashy, athletic tools, and Owen Miller he said was like <laughs> good instincts, gamer. knows where the ball is knows where to position himself like it was the prototypical oh look a white wide receiver he's got great intangibles
0: that sounds like a kipnis profile if i've ever heard one (laughs) and then miller's a guy that can play all over the place shortstop second base so again spanning that defensive spectrum and guy that might land somewhere else or maybe it's just as a utility player i the weird thing about this trade is as we we kind of wrap this thing up and Don't approach anything close to a a rational thought. I feel like the guys that they got, all based on their skills, and feels like they got a lot of guys that will contribute in the major leagues.
1: So the depth is what is probably most apparent to me is the days of like the Moroffs and the Stametses are over, and maybe they learned something from that April where you just had an abysmal, abysmal offensive roster for a month until guys got healthy they had no depth you had no nothing i mean brad miller was here and gone and now somehow he's hitting cleanup for the cardinals maybe he was right about all that but um (laughs) yeah like you should have tons of depth like i mean it's it's crazy the middle infielders who are on the cusp when you think about freeman and miller and um some of the other guys or and even just infielders in general if you say nolan jones and So, and like Yu Chang, they don't have a spot for him. Um, Like, they had to cut ties with Christian Arroyo, who seemed pretty interesting. So, yeah, depth shouldn't be an issue for a long time. But I just wonder if you can maybe package some of that depth to address, you know, I don't know, maybe one of the glaring needs that's been at the top of your priority list for like 10 years.
0: I'm sure they'll get to it at some point. Like, what do you
1: do with Bobby Bradley? I don't know. What do you do with Jake Bowers?
0: That's a completely different conversation now where you had the outfield doing what it's been doing, and he couldn't sniff an opportunity. That says a lot about where they're at right now with him. And this is a difficult year for for everybody, but especially for a guy that's in the minor leagues trying to prove he deserves a chance. Like Bobby Bradley, if this is a normal minor league season, is he raking in such a way or... Uh, maybe cutting down on the strikeouts for some reason or is he doing something in his profile to that it would have warranted a look in the major leagues right now it's just kind of dormant
1: and i think that's a good way to sum up feelings on this trade i don't know
0: i feel like it's a solid deal but it leaves you underwhelmed because they didn't address t- the 2020 roster in either in this trade enough or in a separate trip.
1: See, I told someone earlier today that I was not overwhelmed, I was not underwhelmed, I was simply whelmed.
0: I feel like Gabrielle Union right now. Why? the other chick that said it in 10 Things I Hate About You. Is that a movie? You can subscribe to the podcast, Apple Podcasts, (laughs) Google Stitcher, Spotify. Wherever you catch your podcast, you can find us over at Anchor, or on Twitter at TJ at Zach Meisel, at Selby is Godcast. As I turn around and now look at everything that we've covered i feel like i have not really voiced any sense of what i actually feel about this trade how is this possible after an hour i don't even know that i've even come close to making one solid point
1: (laughs) we spent 60 minutes talking about a (laughs) nine player trade and came to zero conclusions but i think i think this is a rare deal where it's like i think it's perfect the perfect deal for this bizarre weird ass season <laughs> yeah. where it's like nothing means anything and I'll get back to you later.
0: You look at a trade and you have you, you can evaluate a trade really two different ways from a, a perception standpoint of like how it impacts the team now or just an overall value standpoint and can you feel two different things? Can you look at the overall value and say I think the Indians killed it from an overall surplus creating surplus value standpoint I think they killed it? But at the same time, be underwhelmed because they didn't address left field, right field, any field.
1: Whether you can feel two different things at once is between you and yours, my friend.
0: (laughs) We're out of here. Have a good week, everybody. (laughs) We'll see you. Bye.